Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We have gone on an epic journey through the symbolism of the 78 cards of the tarot deck, and in this season, we are applying esoteric filters to the deck, examining it through a variety of astrological, Kabbalistic, numeric, and other lenses. This week, we're continuing our 10-part series on number, which will allow us to look at the many roles that number plays in tarot, whether in the 1 through 10 numeric minors, or in the numbered major arcana, or even in the court cards, which, believe it or not, also each have number correspondences. Focusing on number will also allow us to have a closer look at the 10 sephirot of the Tree of Life, which is good because Kabbalah is probably one of the more challenging esoteric subjects we tackle on this podcast, and we could all use a bit more time to wrangle some of its subtleties. And remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something inscrutable, we do have lots of resources to help with that on our website www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you can sign up and get access to all of that content for as little as a dollar. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com, and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 450 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortunes Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode, we have a giveaway. Last week, our prize for the sixth of our numeric episodes went to Avin in Florida. Congratulations, Avin. This week, we're talking about the mystical, elusive, and profoundly magical number seven. The number of the planets, the days, the musical notes, and the colors in the rainbow. So, for this week's giveaway... Mel is offering the rainbow edition of her Pharaoh's Majors deck, in which the alternate titles appear printed in their corresponding Golden Dawn colors. You can, of course, always buy your own Pharaoh set at Mel's website, tarotcart.com. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to say a quick word about the music you're about to hear. Each week, I select something that's appropriate to the episode theme, and usually you can see the connection in the title of that week's musical selection. Those are credited in the Patreon episode summary, as well as in some versions of the podcast feed. Uh, there are character limits, so some of them don't actually show it. This week's selection is, appropriately enough, titled Seven, and it's by a group called Gospel of Mars. If you listen very carefully to the baseline, you can hear that it is in 7-4 time. Now, that is a very unusual time signature in musical composition, and even if you have trouble counting it out, you can tell that it lends kind of a loopy, offbeat cadence to the music. All right, I just wanted to point that out this time because I think it's super cool. Always mysteries within mysteries on this show. And now, here's this week's episode.
All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse numeric episode number seven, coronavirus edition. We are all at home quarantining. And in fact, um, Mel and I were going to meet to record in person, but thought the better of it. And I, I hope all of you listening at home are staying well during this difficult time. But we're glad we can be here with you in your ear holes and trying to explore the mysteries as we do each time you tune in. All right, so we're here to explore number seven. Number seven and number eight actually go together. So we will be recording them together, though you'll be getting them two weeks apart. For number seven, we are, of course, dealing with the four numeric minors that are sevens. So uh, the seven of wands, which is valor, the seven of cups, which is debauch or illusionary success, the seven of swords, which is futility or unstable effort, and the seven of discs or pentacles, which is failure or success unfulfilled, Mel's least favorite card. <laughs> <laughs> and then I say as of yet. Exactly. Unfulfilled as of yet, because I don't give up. Nevertheless, she persisted. Yes. Um, and then we have also the majors, major arcana by number and reduced, which gives us the chariot and the tower. So let's get started on some of the um, numeric associations of seven, I guess, which is unbelievable. It's huge. It's There's huge. so many. Yeah, seven's just such an interesting number. We have our seven planets, traditionally, our seven days of the week, our seven yeah. notes, our seven it's colors. It's the last prime of our series in uh, mm -hmm. the numeric series. And it's like, yeah, the seven musical notes, the seven planets. I have a whole list of things. Medals, the seven seals, the seven archangels, the seven orifices in your head. <laughs> <laughs> the seven chakras, the seven stages of life. Those are really interesting. Those are really interesting, uh, yeah. Seven years of bad luck when you break the mirror of Venus, because as we will be oh. discussing, seven is the number associated with Venus. Right. The seven gates of Inanna's descent. The seven rungs of the ladder of enlightenment is like all sorts of really cool things associated with seven. Mm -hmm. Seven hells and seven heavens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the seven ages of man, which I think is especially interesting. Yeah. Have you run across the thing where they sort of ascribe each stage to a planet? To a planet, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So the moon is infancy, right? Yep. And uh, Mercury is childhood, and you know, where you're first a school kid, basically gaining knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then Venus is the age of love and youth, when you're a young... Um, young uh, person just blooming into <laughs> puberty, I imagine. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then the sun as well. I, I, I've seen it as manhood, womanhood to... Adulthood, I guess yeah, you could say. Yeah, you know, and they also kind of think of that as the stage of uh, reproduction, marriage and reproduction. And also the, the, the sun would be like the stage of self-sovereignty, you know? Independence and yep. um, agency. And then Mars as the age of your full strength, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then Jupiter, maturity and kind of having good judgment, I guess. Yep, that makes sense as the planet of law. Right. 
And then Saturn is old age, wah wah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and and there was something I read about you know these ages, and it it kind of capped everything at seventy as like that's the that's the oldest yes. you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, Bummer. Say if you're not sixty nine, you know, which I'm not. Yes, like, yes, you know exactly. I, mean. like, I know like, what you mean. They, they didn't have a very optimistic um, outlook of life after seventy. No, because people just didn't. You know, but now you learn. can become president, so whatever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could just like say, okay, how about 91 and each stage is 13 years? <laughs> Except I think it's more like, you know, kind of like three decades of Saturn instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it seems like. 28 years of Saturn if you make it. <laughs> Oh, and, the, and then there's the uh, seven virtues and seven vices and the seven oh, right. Pleiades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the seven sisters. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's virtues and vices. I was going to say, the virtues and vices are really interesting in terms of the minors once mm -hmm. we start to talk about them. Just because, you know, the seven minor cards are oftentimes something you need to defeat some defect, some personal weakness and, mm -hmm. and or some vice that you need to to overcome in order to obtain victory and you do that mm. through the virtues. Yes, I think that comes through particularly in Book of Thoughts since Crowley, you know, had that very low view of sevens, plus as the shadow decan for knights or kings. And, and yeah, I think even um Eliphas Levi in his transcendental magic somewhere I saw he was actually talking about the chariot, which is the mm. major card that um, has to do with, the, you know, it's number seven. Yeah. And he, he mentioned that as victories o over the seven sins via the seven virtues, which oh, I thought was interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to mention the seven uh, sephirot below the abyss, which we're constantly sort of grouping together as opposed to the supernals. You know, one of the things that I'm sure you noticed in doing research for this is that a lot of the times when we think about seven, there's sort of like a division either into six and one or four and three. Yeah, four and three is usually what I see, mm -hmm. but six and one with the planets around the sun. Usually. Exactly. And seven is really interesting, too, because it's like they call it the unbegotten and unbegetting number. So like Venus itself, it has a little bit of association with, you know, virgins like Minerva mm -hmm. born from Zeus's head and, and stuff because it, it, it doesn't have any factors. You know yeah. I mean? yeah, it is just truly weird. Also, and it has you know, both mm -hmm. such positive and negative associations. Like that's right. what I kept being struck by is like. It's the most perfect number. It's the most evil number. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does seem to be the case. And I think it's because, well, one way to look at it is that the six, as we talked about, <laughs> represents harmony and balance. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I can never think about that phrase the same way. <laughs> I know. It cracks me up every time. I can't get over that catalog. Every time I, I, I just have to laugh because I just think it's hilarious. So, guys, if, you, if you're if you not sure why we're cracking up, just listen to the Sexy Six episode. But the six, you know, because it represents balance, you add one and it's like the movement out of balance or from balance, which, right. you know, really is a neutral characterization, but you can see how it could generate both virtue and vice. Yeah. 
And it's really interesting. I mean, we'll see this when we talk about the the paths that lead from the seventh Sephira and Netzach, that the one that mm-hmm. goes from six to seven is death. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that is That's super because you're, you're losing that. You're, you know, something is, you're losing that perfection. Something. Yes. Dying. Yes, exactly. And there's even that phrase that we say, I'm at sixes and sevens, which is just a way of saying I'm really out of sorts. <laughs> I'm yeah, really off balance. And then the four plus three thing is so interesting too. Levi also said something about that. He said, that's why the number seven is sacred because it's composed of the triad and the tetrad, which is you know, like the three supernals and then the tetrad of tetragrammaton. So because it's the three and four, it's super sacred or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you can also think of it as like the soul being the three plus the body, which is four, because it's made up of matter, you know, matter right. four elements. Yep. Yeah. Or you can think of it as four being stability and three being motion and those mm-hmm. two in tension with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. reminds me. I think what he said about the three and the four thing, that the the triad and the tetrad, tre- 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 <laughs> he <laughs> called it the soul served by nature. So the soul is the three and the four elements of nature or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The soul served by nature, yeah. Another yeah. cool thing I ran across when I was you know, looking at this stuff is in astrology, there's a really minor aspect when you divide – the circle of 360 by 7, it's hmm. the only aspect that creates an irrational number. Septile, of the course. Septile, of course. Duh. Yeah, and what is it supposed yeah. to represent? So, so it's 51.42857, et cetera, et cetera, into infinity degrees apart. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because what it seems to indicate in a chart is things that are very resonant with the themes that we're going to talk about with the qualities of Netzach, which are mm-hmm. uh, insp- creative inspiration, mm-hmm. um, psychicness, reality and unreality. Yeah. And yeah. These themes are going to come up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. It's not an aspect that you, you tend to notice very much because it's so minor. And right. such a weird number, you know. I wonder which astrologers, you know, used it. Is it a modern thing or is it more of a traditional thing? You know, I think a lot of people don't use many yeah. minor aspects at all, really, because For frankly, sure. there's enough to look at. Right. And then there's the, uh, we didn't talk about the Naples arrangement. Is it the points idea of bliss? I think that yes. is. Yes. And then, yeah. and then it says in parentheses, Ananda. Which Ananda. Is the Sanskrit or Buddhist word. It's the name of the Buddha's, like companion i guess but it's also a word that means joy or bliss yeah because we have the 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 eight is the points idea of thought and the and, nine and they is call the, that chit and then the the nine is the idea of being which is sat and it all goes together as such dananda yeah there's right, which yeah is there's a thing mm-hmm. sanskrit saying i think sat ananda chit and it's all about the nature of reality Right, so the combination thought. of bliss and emotions with mind and with sat, which is like being being itself, or sometimes translated as truth. So it, it all has to do with these seven, eight, and nine, which are kind of part of a, a, a triad of personality on the tree of life. So they, they kind of all go together. Are. Yeah, or we can think of them also as the world of Yetzira. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So clearly, Crowley picked up on that. As he was devising the Naples arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you've said before, oh, Crowley hates the sevens. It, but, you know, I think he says a lot of things that 
are negative about them, but I also see a lot of things that talk about how powerful they are. Yeah, I think that, you know, he liked to express himself forcefully. So when you read the passages on Seven in Book of Thoth, it looks as though he takes this incredibly dim view of them. But at the same time, he does have other places where he sees the mysticism and the power of Seven. Mm -hmm. I wanted to um, point out something else I found in probably one of my favorite books, Seven, Seven, Mm -hmm. Seven, appropriately enough. It's another essay on number. Remember a few episodes back in the numeric series, we went through an essay on number that's in the appendix? Well, it's not that one. He actually has another essay on number in the beginning of 777 under the Gematria section. It was pretty interesting because for seven, this is what he said. He said, the septenary desire derived by three and four. There is, however, a secondary attribution making it the holiest and most perfect of numbers. That, that essay starts on page 27 if anyone wants to like do homework and read it. There's another there's another um, section a little bit up forward on page 43 where he says seven is a most evil number whose perfection is impossible to attack. The kind of inherent paradox of seven. Right. Yeah. And then if you go into the gematria part of the book where there's a lot of um, numbers broken down into different meanings and you go to the number, it's on page 49 and you go to number 777. So it says useful in a similar way. It's talking about the previous number 741, which said useful only as a denial of unity, sometimes Mm. employed in the hope of tempting it from its lair. Useful chiefly as a denial of the unity, but sometimes Mm -hmm. employed in the hope of tempting it from its. So I guess, you know, that's very Venusian, right? It sure is. something from yeah. its lair. Can you um, say what edition you're using so people will be able to, you know, see if they have the same one uh, for page numbers? Edition. Let's see. Well, this one says it was first published in 1973, retitled in 77, first paper, paper edition 1986. And the publisher? Red Wheel Wiser. Okay. Is this the white cover or a different yep, one? white cover. Mm-hmm. The white cover. Okay. All right. So that should help people find it. Anyway, so it starts out by saying useful in a similar way as 741. But then it says, mm-hmm. as affirming that the unity is the cliff off, but a dangerous tool, especially as it represents the flaming sword that drove man out of Eden. A burnt child dreads the fire. <laughs> the devils also believe and tremble. Worse than useless unless you have it by the hilt. Mm. Also, 777 is the grand scale of seven, and this is useless to anyone who has not yet awakened the kundalini, the female magical soul. Note seven as the meeting place of three the mother and ten the daughter, whence Netzach is the woman, married but no more. Though I was going to point out that whole relationship between three and seven and ten as the numbers of, you know, the sacred feminine. Well, we see seven and three constantly, right, Um, Mm -hmm. as tied together, but also adding together three and seven and you get 10. So you get the mother, the, in a Mm -hmm. sense, you could almost say mother, maiden, crone in those three. Yep. With Binah, the three as the mother, uh, as the, sorry, as the, well, as the crone. You you could say (laughs) that. You could do it either way, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly 10, Malkut as the daughter. But all of them are aspects of the goddess, the triple goddess. Absolutely and I, I, I was really also struck by the idea of seven as, you know, a, a component of the flaming sword. 
when mm. he said, worse than useless unless you have it by the hilt. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So sevens are really negative, but they're very powerful. They're just hard to grasp. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is that in tarot particularly, you know, we can see that sort of seven inflection through the seven by three in the major arcana with, you know, the, the fool set aside. Right. So you have seven and seven and seven, and then the 22nd one, zero or 22 is the fool. And that's something, you know, it was just at Northwest Tarot Symposium. And, and I was talking to Rachel Pollock a lot about that idea. You use the, the connections between the majors that are uh, seven apart, like, for example, the Wheel of Fortune and the Star or the Chariot and Temperance to mm. um, draw connections between those interpretationally, which is fascinating. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting in tarot specifically, I think, is the seven as counterpoint to the five. Cause, you know, Kabbalistically, we're going to talk about seven as counterpoint to eight a lot, but it's also kind of, you know, the five and the seven both look towards the six in their own way. Yeah. Whereas the five kind of looks ahead to it and literally strives for it. And the seven kind of looks back and either learns or tries to hold on to the balance of the six. It's interesting to look at five, six, and seven together in tarot always. As well as to look at seven and eight in their relationship. And yeah, I mean, we, I guess when we talk about the paths that connect to Netzach, we'll get more into that though. Yeah. It's true of every single of these, but seven is said to be, you know, negative towards the preceding Sephiro and positive mm-hmm. to the the following ones. And that's really interesting when we when we look at the majors that are on the paths that come to seven and leave from seven. In fact, we should go on to Kabbalah soon, but I didn't really do any research on gods and goddesses of seven, but obviously Babylon. Yep. Um, Obviously, I've got a few. I mean, yeah, um, let's Hathor. hear them. Mm-hmm. So Hathor, Aphrodite, Nike, Minerva, Freya were a couple that uh, came up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Anana and Ishtar, mm. um, goddesses as well. And yes. as far as as its uh, male beings go, Orpheus. Yes, that's really interesting because we often hear seven contrasted with eight as seven being the Orphic path and eight being the Hermetic path. Mm. That's a Kabbalistic thing. Apart from Orpheus, pretty much every name you mentioned is, you know, an aspect of the feminine divine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's so many more that we can put here. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's just a glimpse, really. All right, shall we talk a little bit about the tree? Sure. Uh, do you want to do vices and virtues and correspondences yeah, yeah, first, we sh- and then go uh, into the past? Yeah. Let's do all. Let's do all that because, and I also want to just talk about the Sephira and Netzach a bit because we're going to be talking about Netzach and Hod together as well because they really are they're different pink. aspects of each other. Yeah, they are known as the. Um, well, they're both known as armies or hosts in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't the the names of uh, the correspondence names of each Sephira are kind of versions of each other, right? It's like Dehova Tzabaoth for, um, for Netzach. Sounds and, right. And Elohim Tzabaoth for, yes. um, for Hod. And both of those mean like God of armies, but why armies, right? And the path between them is, of course. 
Yes, the tower. Is the War. tower. <laughs> War, Mars, Lord of Armies. But the armies that they're talking about, I've, I've gotten really interested in this. Um, there's a hermetic Kabbalist named Colin Lowe. Do you have his book? It's, uh, I don't think so. I don't have it either. It's called Hermetic Kabbalah, but it's, it's, I came across an article of his on, uh, Caduceus, which is the hermetic, uh, like library site. It's amazing. And it was talking a little bit about in hermetic Kabbalah about the idea of armies as being the plurality of consciousness that you get both in Netzach and in Hode in the sense that like, you know, if oh. you think of, you know, Netzach as like all those conflicting emotions that are constantly arising That's and dying, really isn't it? And in Hode, the kind of like, you know, the, the way the thoughts differentiate and multiply. You can think about the armies of Netzach almost as being like armies of wants and desires. Exactly. You know, warring with each thinking. other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another thing about the two of them is that they are sometimes known as spheres of prophecy. You know, that's super interesting because Netzach is kind of like the ecstatic vision, you know, the, the fiery yep. inspiration visions yep. of and God. And that fits with that septile aspect too. Exactly. Irrational, you know, often confused with madness, that kind of thing. Whereas Hode... Artistic inspiration itself, which mm -hmm. has a lot to do with the seven Netzach. Exactly. And whereas Hode is the is the prophecy side of it that is divination, what we do, you know, reading symbols and languages and sort of it's, it's a, it's a more recipient kind of side of it where you are trying to interpret. I think div divination is using both. You're, you're putting words towards intuition, things that have to do with your intuition. Yeah. So it involves yeah. both of those um, aspects of ourselves. It does. It does. Everything's so mixed down here, so low on the tree too. But yeah, and the sort of difference between those, the words Netzach and Hod are, you know, the Netzach has this quality that besides being victory, it has elements of eternity, perfection, faith, truth, those things that bring you outside of yourself, and which is mm. almost a definition of six plus one, right? <laughs> Going outside of the yeah. integrated self. I saw a few other titles besides the traditional like victory and, you know, firmness and valor and triumph. Um, yeah, yeah. I also saw glamour, which yes. I, I love yeah, for that Venus. Makes sense. And uh, the awakener, which is interesting in light of, you know, the whole Kundalini aspect of things. There was something about, it, it's not exactly a title, but about how it's a fiery Sephira. If you do any form of art, you know that there's a certain amount of inertia to overcome. Yes. You know? <laughs> right. And it's that fiery spark of inspiration that allows you to overcome that inertia that, that you know, gives you that delight in creation. Right. Because you could just happen. as well not do it. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot easier not to do it in most cases. And it's almost like you have to find a way to tend the fire to, yes. to grow it. The virtue is unselfishness, right? Yep. And the vice is selfishness, which... Or, no, unchastity or lust. Oh, okay. I've seen it in a different way as well. Um, this was this was a different site. But yeah, which is kind of similar, actually, in the sense that unselfishness is recognizing that everybody else has wants and needs, <laughs> whereas unchastity or lust could be simply focusing on your own. Yeah. Well, as you were, you've said before that vices really are just an imbalance of the virtue. You're right. You know, applied towards egotistical 
or egoistic. Yeah, you ends. could look at unchastity as you know, instead of just being a sexual thing, as being more like an impurity, where self unselfishness is really a purity. Mm. And the vision is of beauty triumphant, which ties into that whole idea of it being the sphere of art. Yep. Knowing beauty and truth on an aesthetic level. Where did I run across? Was it in Guarded of Pomegranates? The illusion of Netzach being projection, like psychological projection, uh, projecting your emotions onto others. A lot to do with polarity and projections, um, relationships. The, yeah, it's like the mirror of Venus, but distorted. Mm -hmm. Let's see what else is associated with Netzach uh, correspondence wise. So the, wise. the cliff off were uh, mm -hmm. listed as ravens of dispersion, Ooh. which is interesting in terms of the whole, like, armies and hosts and war and what happens after victory, you know? Yeah, yeah. And ravens versus doves. Right, yeah, there's a whole yeah. lot of birds and, oh, this is funny. Well, there's a whole lot of, you know, birds listed, you know, sparrows and swans and ravens and um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I forget what else, but... This is kind of one of these things that gets Crowley labeled as a misogynist because what he said was <laughs> the, the, that, you know, birds are associated with Venus because static song devoid of any intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sort of like. Uh, <laughs> I think that like but I if guess we... I can see that you know because we're trying to contrast it with Hode which is exactly. the intellectual sphere like, so I can give him a little bit of a pass exactly if you replace intellectual for like intellectualizing you know like <laughs> yeah you know the, the the action of the mind the super you know rationalizing side of the mind yeah it's true that birdsong is devoid of that kind of very human over analytical thing that we do yeah that's that's <laughs> because we start the days of creation counting uh, from chesed that makes the fourth day uh, of creation associated with the seventh sphere so that's the day that the sun and the moon the lights were created ah so i have written down here an Rose girdle lamp, which sounds like Venus, and weapon robe, splendor and glory. So I'm not sure which one's the actual weapon. <laughs> lamp and girdle are for Venus. Uh, Venus as seven. Okay. Not Venus as Empress, which is a diff you know different. Yeah. Probably yeah. similar, but uh, you know if you're looking at Netzach, it's the lamp and girdle. Right. The lamp. It was the idea. What I was reading about it was that it was the idea that love. Just like artistic inspiration must somehow be enkindled and mm. through the action of light and bringing light to things by the That's magician or the practitioner. And the girdle is like the vision of beauty triumphant. It's beauty that can bind and fascinate. Right. And part of what makes it alluring is the fact that it conceals. You know, mm -hmm. so I think there are these themes of you know, light and darkness of what's hidden and what's revealed um, in all of these themes, really. Also, the uh, archangel of Netzach is Haniel or Haniel. I don't know a ton about Haniel other than I remember at one point, and I've talked about this before on the show, participating in a Haniel working, which was to incubate lucid or prophetic dreams, which seems very much of this sphere. Yeah. I could see that. 
the idea that dream being so different from divination in a way, I mean, in the sense that the divination of Hode is reading symbols and dealing with language, whereas the, you know, the prophecy associated with Netzach is trance work, really, you know, mm-hmm. receiving visions, ecstasies. Uh, things that you can't control or articulate. Yeah, you definitely can't control your dreams very easily. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Shall we start looking at cards? Do you want yeah, to talk? Yeah, why not? Or what about color scales? Should we do oh, that? Oh, colors. First? Yeah, we can mention the colors. So um, amber mm-hmm. is the king scale color. Uh, emerald green is the queen scale color. Bright yellow green is the prince scale color. And olive flecked gold is the princess scale or empress scale color. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're mostly greens with some golds. The colors of nature, you know, the colors of of sun Mm -hmm. and growth. Um, Yeah, what you'd expect to see if you walk outside when things are growing. Yeah. Yeah. And the emerald in particular is interested, the Briatic or queen scale color, because that's if you combine the blue of Chesed with the yellow of Tiferet, mm-hmm. then you get the green. Whereas yep. if you take the red of Givorah and combine it with the yellow of Tiferet, then you get the orange of Hode. And that's yeah, and those, those are the colors. Two, yeah, those are the two spheres that are feeding into Netzach. So it makes sense that the colors would combine in that way. Exactly. And then we'll see with Yasod, it's the combination of Givora and Chesed. The red and the blue create purple. So once again, those those three spheres, Netzach, Hod, and Yasod, are tied together because they're the secondary colors. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, the seven, eight, and nine are all the secondary colors where before we were dealing with primaries. Right. Blue, red, and yellow for Chesed, Givora, and uh, Tiferet. So chariot and tower. Yeah. It makes me think of wrathful goddesses or maternal and wrathful, you know? (laughs) (laughs) When you look at the chariot and the tower in Rider-Waite-Smith, you can kind of see those themes of four and three going on. I mean, you have the four of the chariot's breastplate with the square on it. And then... Uh, the three of the three figures in it. And then the, the tower itself is basically a cube of matter. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a fourfold structure, but with the three windows in it. And each of these has qualities, and you see it in Thoth as well, qualities of motion and movement, which we've kind of talked about as being a seven quality. Things well, are changing. Quality, actually. Oh, that too. <laughs> but in the sense that like, Mars. it's that six plus one moving away from balance kind of a thing, taking one step away from balance. Or, you know, think of the seven, we talked about the four is a stability and the three is motion. What happens when you put them together? The tension that arises from that. I mean, six and the one can also be, val- it's, it's, it's interesting because it can be either, it can be a step mm-hmm. away from balance or it can be, you know, the sun in the center with the planets yes. around it, like the, that, um, another seven letter word actually, uh, Ararita, the, the formula mm-hmm. has yeah. the, um, the planets around the, the central sun. You know, it's funny. We've talked about, I was just thinking about that because about the whole movement thing, because we've talked about threes as movement, fives as movement, and now sevens as <laughs> movement. It's sort of like every odd number has that quality, even yeah, though. Yeah, that's true. You know, the thing about the chariot is that. There's motion and stillness combined in it, really, mm-hmm. you know, in, in every version of the chariot, because it's in some ways the the vehicle is an internal journey, uh, as in the idea of Merkaba mysticism, which we talked about, I think, in the chariot episode. 
the vehicle, although we use it mundanely to represent movement and cars and getting places, it's also that internal journey, that internal quest for the grail, that internal mission which you're charged with. It's also like interesting that both the chariot and the tower, obviously the tower, have mm-hmm. a lot to do with Mars, um, either by yeah. their by their uh, attributions or their placement on the tree. Whereas this, you know, they're also associated with seven Venus. So there's this, I don't know, there's this interesting relationship here about how the sevens are victory. And then these, these very martial forces. So the chariots placement on the tree, what you're talking about is that relationship between Givora and Bina. So it does connect between Saturn and Mars. On the other hand, it's cancer where Mars has fallen. Yeah, so there's that sort of tension between Mars triumphant and Mars struggling. Oh, and also, you know, the tower, it's fascinating to me because we've talked about the tower as that path which intersects with the path of temperance or art, and that at the intersection is where you're supposed to be speaking your lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the, the tower is pay the uh, the mouth. And think about what you're doing there. You're you're basically banishing from connection with things you don't want connected to you. And you're and you're standing in this place that's right balanced between Netzach and Hod, between you know the emotions and the reason. You know, it just seems like a place where you know you're dealing with the kind of explosive force of Netzach. The getting the irrational force and then the the side of Hode trying to articulate and rationalize that and somewhere in between that that tension creates the tower experience um in terms of uh other majors that are connected to Netzach yeah yeah so, so we you were talking about paths into and paths out of Netzach earlier Right. So coming into, we have Netzach, we have death coming from Tefera and the wheel coming from Hesed, which, you know, that's like death being a part of love and life and change being a part of love and life, Mm. you know, particularly the death one, which is that combination of six plus seven and really embodies the difference between them. Yeah, Crowley somewhere in um I don't know if it was in Book of Thoth, I think so. He go he makes a big deal about the connection between Netzach and the life and the in love and the idea of death. He actually has this one section that he points out one, two, three, four, five different essays in the Book of Lies, all which reference the connection between love and death were really interesting so it was, it was number one eight fifteen sixteen and uh eighteen so basically the magus mm-hmm. uh adjustment the devil the tower and the moon all have sections in the book of lies where it really references this connection between the idea of death being a part of love and life. Yeah, for love to be continuous, for life to be continuous, there has to be the cycle of death that kind of dances in tandem with it. Right. Yeah, the wheel. <laughs> mhm. Exactly. exactly. So, so those are the things feeding in 
to Netsock. And then what's coming out of it, we have the tower, as we've talked about, heading mm-hmm. towards Hode. And we have, well, depending on... <laughs> depending on your system. We have either the Emperor um, in Thoth-based or the uh, Star going into Isode. And I was thinking of that as well. If it's the Emperor or the Star, either way, it's a form of like structure or ideals that you have to apply to your artistic inspirations, mm-hmm. you know? And then the moon is uh, the card that connects Netzach to Malkuth. And that's really interesting because of the, you know, the whole glamour and imagination thing. I see that as well. I mean, I kind of think of those five cards coming into and out of Netzach as all versions of going beyond your boundaries of your what quote unquote normal self, like especially if you think about glamour in the moon as kind of going beyond reality, going between those pillars to something beyond. And if you think of um, the star or the emperor, you know, the star allows you to aspire beyond your place. And the, uh, the emperor kind of represents the authority that gives you something that's greater than yourself to work for or fight for. It's the, also striking how three, mm-hmm. I mean, if you use the emperor anyway, three of those majors are martial. So mm-hmm, we have Scorpio ruled by Mars, we have Mars itself, and we have Aries ruled by Mars. Yeah, yeah. To, to Venus. Yeah, and they all have that sort of weird relationship to the ego, where the emperor kind of represents the ego-given agency and power, but the tower is the destruction <laughs> Of the right. ego, and the death card is kind of surrendering Letting go up. of the ego. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, right. yeah. And each of those, you know, is a negotiation going beyond the ego in some way. Um, and the, whereas the wheel of fortune, in terms of the ego or the self and what what it seeks, is kind of looking looking above, looking up to the divine for assistance, for mercy, for uh, that which you can't provide for yourself so you look to providence to provide it for you and then the other two cards you know fortune that that aren't the martial ones fortune Uh and the moon you know the moon as pisces that's ruled by jupiter yeah so we have like two very kind of jupiter the other the greater Mm -hmm. fortune aspects of of that and then we have you know martial stuff coming out the other end yeah coming out the other end exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah on the pillar of force the the positive experiences are represented from netzach as the fortune in the moon cards whereas the more stressful experiences could be represented. I don't know by if the I'd call Marshall the moon ones. card all that positive. <laughs> well, yes, personally. I'm. I was sort of thinking about this because I just recently, as you might expect, the Wheel of Fortune and Pisces Nine of Cups um, post, mm-hmm. and I was thinking if you combine those together, mm-hmm. you get that aspect of the moon which governs fortune. Well, and you know what's mm-hmm. really interesting about the moon card in relationship to the sevens is that, you know, we talked about sevens as desires, but they're also, they also have a lot to do with, I guess you would call it group consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the moon card is kind of like that too, I think. Yeah. Certainly the collective unconscious is in there. Right. The yeah. The There's a connection yeah. there for mm-hmm. sure. Like, and the sevens are instinct. And where does instinct come from, but from the right. subconscious? Right. And the dogs of the moon are, you know, right there right. representing our animal instincts. All right. Um, should we look at minors? 
Yep. I'm going to read a little bit uh, of uh, Crowley, I guess, where he says that um, he talks about sevens as being doubly unbalanced, a frantic struggle, a descent into illusion. He talks about Venus as being uh, her greatest crisis as being lost from her heavenly origin. Uh, so Venus as right. Netzach. So that's like the difference between Venus as Netzach and Venus as the Empress, which is you know up there with the supernals. Yeah, and he talks about it as being the degeneration of the element in each of these four, uh, and its utmost weakness. And I think you know, you know, even when you think about the sevens as a contrast to the five they have that quality of, oh my God, I've just left the six and what am I going to do? You yeah, know, now right. things are all screwed up. <laughs> but at the same time... Gotta get kind back of- to that harmony and balance. <laughs> 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 but I think also, you know, kind of in the way that Chesed, you know, is the... Uh, represents the loss of the, the bliss of the supernals and the perfection of the supernals, but it's the source for everything else. The seven, I think, represents the loss of the six, but also the ability of the self to fend for itself, um, mm-hmm. to do things individually, to seek, to gain skills. So there is a positive side to sevens in that sense. Remember where I got this quote, but maybe Wang, I'm not sure, but it said uh, for the sevens, it said, and this this kind of reminds me of that other thing about the flaming sword, but uh-huh. it called the seven a force like unto a crown, powerful but requiring one capable of wearing it, results mm. dependent on action taken. That sounds familiar. I can't remember where it's from. Could be yeah. Wang. But if Could be you, Wang. Yeah. If we um, think about both that, like grasping the sword by the hilt idea or being capable of wearing this force and results dependent on actions taking, it really, when you look at these four seven cards, they are all dependent, getting out of the quagmire or whatever mm-hmm. is going on in these cards, all are like that. You you have to take action. Individual against, action. Yeah. Towards, in, you know, to fight these defects and achieve victory. It's dependent mm-hmm. on what actions you take, whether you're going to succeed or not. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you look at the Seven of Wands, both in Thoth and Rider Waite, you know, you see it's that six against one kind of formula where there are six that are alike and one that is different, attacking the one. And in the case, I think, of Thoth, he says that patriotism is not enough. So there's that 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 club in the center, that brutish sort of rough club in the center represents the need to push beyond high principle, I think. And Right, and it's know, interesting in terms courage. of the ruler of the Deccan for the Seven of Wands is Mars. Right. So this, this struggle is a battle of, you know, will. That's what I would call it. In Rider Wade Smith, he says that, you know, he talks about, again, that same struggle, but he says that the Seven of Wands figure has the vantage. He has the high point. So it suggests that success or victory is going to come after a struggle. Uh, it's also most people say that this figure is probably Petruchio from Taming of the Shrew, which we talk about in some detail in the Seven of Wands. But the idea that, you know, someone who is an outsider who's got mismatched shoes, <laughs> who's kind of a hot mess, it takes that kind of thinking outside of the box to achieve victory in these circumstances. Thing. Yeah, and then the, I would yeah. I would mm-hmm. say thinking outside of the box is more the seven of swords, mm. but uh, mm. 
but it's yeah. a seven quality generally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Curly says is that the Seven of Swords is incapable of sustained labor, but on the other hand, it's not going to be confined by its expectations. So this is, what does he call it? The rheumatic boxer <laughs> trying to stage yeah. a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it points yeah. back to the Deccan ruler of the moon and it's, you mm -hmm. know, inherent fluctuation and in, in supposed instability and supposed instability. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, Wade also says it's a plan that may fail. One thing about that seven of swords that we see is that there is a restlessness, but also a, willingness to kind of try anything <laughs> you know may not right. work but but right. let's give it a try you know with the seven of cups this is interesting Wade calls it the glass of contemplation so that's a venus mirror type thing right yeah, yeah. and venus is the ruler of that decan so that this is exactly. like the most important seven in in one sense right it's a cabalistic double like all the yep. other scorpio cards because it's the seven is netzach but also venus as ruler yeah, images of fantastic spirit is what Waite says, while Crowley says it's a false pleasure, or uh, he says earth churned into a into the scorpion morass. <laughs> because it's Lovely. you know doubly Venus, and it's mm -hmm. a, a you know a, a defect. I think of it as a defect of desire. You're seeing what you want mm -hmm. to see, or yeah. projecting, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we talked about, or. And yet, I think that fault, that flaw or vice is necessary in order to get to the truth in art, right? Because the truth in art is a fictional truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though that's part of the secret of sevens, that the truth is in there. It's just hidden and warped. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then the, uh, the <laughs> Lord Seven of Failure. Of Yay. <laughs> The labor itself is abandoned, says Crowley. The extreme of passivity, because it's Saturn, right? It's right. super slow. Saturn in Taurus, uh, Saturn in this Earth sign. Waite says something weird about this, which is like, these were his treasure. He look, he's looking at the pentacles as if these were his treasures and his heart was there. So that kind of speaks to the desire nature of mm -hmm. the seven. But, you know, it's almost as if they're his treasures, but he doesn't know what's going on with them. And I, my experience of that card has been that it always involves slowdowns, just slowdowns and delays and things being. Yeah. Held up. The action of Saturn applied to the material world where we're supposed yeah. to take action isn't always helpful or definitely not lends, lending itself towards any type of speed. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, the, there's always a question with the seven of you can take action. Is it the wisest course though? <laughs> yeah. You know? And with the seven of pentacles, I think although action may be called for, there's also a quality of, well, you should also be patient because otherwise you may not find the right way to act and you may regret it. Mm. And also the fact that all of these cards are shadow decans um, of the Niter King. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. So shadow decan, last of the um, fixed signs, but the court card that they belong to is the mutable court, the knights or kings. So their motivation or their point of weakness has to do with the fact that they know that uh, the seven, that experience of the seven of 
trying and failing of desire and suffering from desire is part of that, you know, shadow nature of the Niter King. Mm-hmm. And what part of what in his central deck in the eight, he tries to, you know, at his best, he has a system, he has an order, he right. has a, yeah. you know, he has a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. I guess will we'll get to when we get to the eight. All right. What else have we got here? That might be, uh, <laughs> that might yeah, be that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I do have, I do have one more thing that maybe we could end with that I thought was really good. So well, okay. actually two things. All right. So one is just a reflection that, you know, seven is associated with Venus. That's love. And then there's Crowley's famous seven words, love is the law, love under will. Mm -hmm. And then this really striking quote that is so appropriate for our times right now. It's from the uh, great law of the Iroquois Confederacy. That is, uh, in our every deliberation, we must consider the impact of our decisions on the next seven generations. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, and also, you know, kind of at this moment, I've been thinking about we're all thinking about, which is the coronavirus crisis and how, in a way, you group know, consciousness, group consciousness, but also kind of a system failure in a way, <laughs> you know, yes. but, but it's the one of my colleagues this is to be defeated you know we're seeing the weaknesses in our collective systems that's right but also one of my colleagues described it as the revenge of ecology you know the idea that nature is having the last word here nature is saying okay you destroy my planet i will make it so you can't travel (laughs) that's right i will protect the young people they won't get sick but, you know, all of you who are abusing me, you know, this is going to be the price you pay. I don't know. There's sort of there's definitely something in here about the peril and danger and corrective action of seven uh, that we're all experiencing, alas, at some level. Also the hysteria, I have to say. <laughs> well, we're going to in the next episode, we'll move on to the eights. And those are the plans. And those are the corrections to the mm-hmm. um, to the defects or the remedies to the seven. So right. <laughs> let's hopefully we get there collectively as well. The infrastructural remedies of the eight. Um, yeah, so some of the just to wrap up some of the themes we've talked about, we've talked about seven as emotions, as inspirations, as desire and uh Feelings and awakening delight in creation. Creativity and artistic endeavors. Eternity, the strength of the individual. The four and the three. The six and the one. (laughs) (laughs) You don't hear so much about the five and the two, though, which is weird. The virtue of uh, unselfishness. Visions of beauty. Prophecy. sword fiery sword flaming sword of creation the armies and hosts plurality of consciousness yeah results dependent on actions taken that sounds good yeah i think that wraps it up all right so um so thanks for sticking with us in this trying time everybody and we will be back with you next time with the systems and infrastructure of the eight see you then And that's our show for today. 
You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore fortunes wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our red bubble shop. That's it www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.